This month, Ask the Therapist is going weekly as I introduce you to my new Therapist Corner Substack community, a space for therapists to get together and discover how the business of therapy can thrive. Hello and welcome to the final episode in the Substack series for the community Therapist Corner on Substack here on Ask the Therapist. In the first episode, you got to know more about me and Sophie and the creation of Therapist Corner. Then we introduce you to the secret source behind us making the decision to build a community for therapists in private practice on Substack, a renowned expert in the world of content creation and social media, Sarah Tasker, who shared her expertise about Substack and how it can be used by therapists. And today I'm excited to introduce you to Amy Rose, who was our first founding member of Therapist Corner. Amy is on a mission to help individuals transform their self-esteem and embrace a life of confidence and self-worth without self-criticism and that imposter syndrome feeling. Amy is one of those people that you meet and you think, I'd really like her to be my therapist. She's so warm and compassionate, down to earth, and is truly passionate about the work she does. She's also a mum of two little ones and has a busy online therapy business. So grab a coffee and let's welcome Amy Rose, the self-esteem therapist, to Ask the Therapist. Hello, Amy. Welcome to Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. We've just been having a really good giggle before we come on. It's That's so nice. I always find being a therapist, I mean... Who does that as a job? Who thinks I'm going to do that? It's actually quite an interesting career choice, isn't it? And I'm always fascinated about why people became a therapist, what their route was and why they chose being a therapist. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yes, absolutely. So my journey to becoming a therapist, I guess really it started in teaching. So I trained to be a teacher originally. And very quickly sort of realized that actually education wasn't the priority where I was working. So I was working with lots of children who were, I was working in areas of real sort of social deprivation with very challenging children in terms of their behavior, etc. What age group were you working with? I was working at the time, I was working with children who were seven young children, yeah, primary age children. And they were, you know, really sort of came in dysregulated. And actually, it wasn't the education that they needed. They needed their emotional well-being to be looked at. And they needed support with their mental health and and things to do with that. So I very quickly realized, actually, I didn't want to sit this seven-year-old down to do a practice stats paper on a Monday morning. What I actually wanted to do was to have a chat with them and find out what happened over the weekend that had really sort of tipped them off balance. And so I guess that side of things has always been a real passion of mine. And then I, I then sort of after getting quite frustrated I guess with the 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 system moved into special educational needs and and teaching children with um sort of complex difficulties in in various ways because there was less emphasis on the education and there was more opportunities to discuss things to do with you know the psychology and and understanding why um certain things were happening and and work with families and, and that side of things which I really really enjoyed. So whilst doing that, whilst it was great and I really enjoyed it, I guess it was a quite a pivotal moment for me as well, because 
whilst I was working at one particular school, it was a really toxic environment and very, very challenging children and not a lot of support at all. And to cut a really long story short, I ended up burning out as a result. And that was a key time for me because it really allowed me to take a step back and to reassess and to think, right, what is it that I'm, I'm really enjoying here and, and which direction is it that I want to head in? So I then trained in coaching, NLP, mindfulness and hypnotherapy and set up in private practice that way. That's a lovely thing to do. Not many people take the time to take that step out and think, what am I enjoying? What is it about my job that I'm enjoying? It's lovely. It was lovely. It was it was really lovely. It was the burnout itself was horrible. And I wouldn't wish that on on anybody. But actually, you know, I am really grateful for that happening because it did it did allow for that opportunity to do that. And as you say, you know, I was very fortunate to be in a situation where I could do that. I mean, don't get me wrong, we were completely skints. We were on one one income and I used all my savings. How long did you take off? Um I took off about three months completely unpaid and then sort of, yeah, so that it was three months of, of no income at all, but it allowed me to move in the direction that I wanted to head in. So then I trained as a CBT therapist and I guess really my private practice just grew from there. Mm, and that's intense training, isn't it, as a CBT therapist? How did you find your training? Yeah, it is. It is intense. It's. I found it brilliant. So I, I trained at Salford University and I found it just, it was almost like I, I wanted, I wanted to do that originally, but the, I wanted the, to be able to support people on a, a deeper level, I guess. And whilst the coaching was great and I was using that for to support people with career moves and, and different things, I wanted to support people in other areas. So it was really, really tricky. I've got two little ones as well. So sort of juggling, going back to university and, and family life was a challenge, but so worth it. When you, when you get to the point where you're doing what you really enjoy day in, day out, it's worth it. So you're in private practice, you mainly see people online, don't you do online therapy? And you've recently joined Therapist Corner, which we've been talking a lot about over the last month. And you're one of our founding members. How are you finding it so far? It's been absolutely brilliant. I, I Really, it's one of the best investments that I've ever made. I think the the reason that I have decided to niche in a, in a particular area of therapy is off the back of a conversation that that you and I had and, and Sophie was there as well so that was a huge moment for me business-wise to and, and I wouldn't have had that had we not have had that conversation so that was amazing and I think what when I was starting in private practice there were so many questions that I had around how to advertise around how to set up a website and various different things that when I look through conversations already that people are having on Therapist Corner, those questions are being answered. So I'm like, oh, I would have loved for you guys to have been around when I was starting in in private practice. But it's lovely now to to have that and to be able to to go back and and there are so many things that I still don't know that you guys help me with. But also just that sense of community, Sarah. It's it can be a lonely place. It's it, there's so many positives to private practice, but 
I do miss that interaction with other people and and you do get that in in therapy but yeah she wanted it to play be informative but somewhere that you could kind of grab a coffee and ask a couple of questions or look through stuff as well so that's lovely that you're you're getting that from it. So we did a therapist spotlight video, didn't we? And so if anybody is interested in your journey into private practice, I will put a link to that in the show notes below. So you've recently done a lot of changes in your business, haven't you? And like you said, you've just niced and taken a real focus on um, self-esteem and become the self-esteem therapist. Can you tell us about what drew you to that? Yeah, absolutely. So off the back of our conversation, I decided to to really niche into an area which I feel really passionate about. So uh, over on Instagram, I'm I'm now known as the self-esteem therapist and I've just recently set up a, a new website. So it's all really exciting. And, and the more that I read about it, about low self-esteem, the more that I learn about it, the more I realize that that is absolutely the best decision for me I'm really passionate about it I remember when I first looked at your website and I went I spent like a good half hour going like reading all through it and it just felt like it was all the way through it that was what you were doing it already just hadn't kind of put the umbrella name around it yeah and it, and it's funny isn't it because I think sometimes it does take an outside perspective looking into to to show you that you don't always see it when you you're in it yourself so it, that was brilliant. But mainly, you know, we we all struggle with our confidence at times, don't we? And we all have times, you know, throughout my teens, I struggled with my confidence and when I had a burnout. But I think for me, they were they were glimpses um, of times where it, it was tough. But because my my self-esteem is is generally healthy, they were just glimpses. And I think for for people who have low self-esteem to think that there are people who are experiencing that low confidence and everything that comes with having low self-esteem permanently all the time in all the different areas of the life is awful to to think about and you you really when i'm working with somebody in a therapeutic context in in a session you i really feel that from them and I find that I can really relate to what they're talking about. And it's a privilege, you know, it's such a, and, you know, we say this, I, I think, as therapists, and you can't underestimate, it's it's such a privilege to be in a situation when you're working with somebody who is just being totally open and vulnerable and talking about a time that's, you know, painful for them or, you know, really sort of opening the heart to you. And not only to be on the receiving end of that, but to actually then witness their journey and to work through all of that with them and to see them come out the other side with this sense of just being okay with who they are and accepting who they are and to see how that just filters out into all those different areas of the life. It never gets old. It doesn't ever get old. It's just, it's so rewarding and and such a privilege to do. And if we were to strip it back, what is self-esteem and what's low self-esteem? I suppose there's two questions there, isn't there? Yeah, so really at the at the root of self-esteem, it's all based on your central beliefs that you hold about yourself. So for somebody with, with healthy self-esteem, you would have a balanced view of yourself. So yes, you would acknowledge that you're a mixture of strengths and weaknesses, but you would accept yourself fundamentally 
for who you are. Not all the time, as I say, we all have dips. But it's that notion of of being okay with with me. I'm I'm okay. But I guess for somebody with with low self esteem, that's very hard. And you know, you will discount your strengths and be sort of highly critical of yourself. Focus on your flaws. You know, that inner critic that we all have from time to time will be pretty constant for people with with low self-esteem I sometimes recognize it where I see people that say I just feel not good enough they just have this narrative going around in their mind of not good enough and that can have come from you know it's often it's been around a long time from past experiences or it's not that anything's happened you know that people have said things in a certain way and people have interpreted that and it's just just go through, like you say, every area of their lives. How would somebody know that if they had low self-esteem, what would they see? What kind of symptoms are common? As you say that, you know, it, it really does sort of eke into all sorts of areas of your life. So, you know, it's not just work, it's your personal relationships as well with your family and your friends. It's it's leisure activities, your hobbies, it's your self-care. So it really spills into all areas. I work with lots of women who will say at work I find myself feeling like I've got imposter syndrome a lot of the time so that notion that they're a fraud they're going to get caught out they're not good enough for the job and sooner or later somebody's going to discover that they might be perfectionists um they might be just putting sort of a huge amount of pressure on on themselves but also in on a more personal level people with low self-esteem sort of find it quite difficult to set boundaries to say no to people they might find that they are might class themselves as people pleasers yes yeah um but you can sort of there are traits if you like that are common amongst people with low self-esteem but I think also you can sometimes just through conversations that you have with people and 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 talking to somebody you can see that actually often in the way that they speak they might be overly apologetic or self-critical they they might be sort of hunched or avoiding any eye contact or you know their body language might be sort of very irritable and, and restless so there are ways that often I think, you know, maybe as therapists, we can we can see that when we're having a conversation with somebody as well as those sort of, you know, more sort of behavioural traits as well. People pleasing is that one that that imposter syndrome and seeing people that would describe themselves as a people pleaser because they feel like that they have to overcompensate for who they are, which is, you know, it's exhausting, you know, absolutely exhausting. And it's so tragic and it pulls you away from having those authentic conversations and stuff and just having those reciprocal uh, relationships because you're trying too hard. It can be difficult to be with people pleasers, can't it? People please just feel like they're doing something like trying to make the relationship work, but sometimes it can have the opposite effect as well. So that's really interesting. What kind of things would you say contribute to somebody having a low self-esteem? What are the suppose underlying factors? Well, low self-esteem can develop at different stages of your life. So quite often I'll work with people who have developed low self-esteem as a as a child, as a young person. And and that doesn't mean that they have been told certain things about themselves. You're bad, you're unlovable, you're a failure, you're not good enough, all of those things. 
But what happens is, as a child, we pick up on sort of social cues, you know, body languages, certain references to certain things, facial expressions. And we we interpret all of that information, but with our with our child brain that isn't fully developed and we place meaning on those things and and then we interpret that meaning. So, you know, off the back of your parent looking at you in a certain way, you know, certain types of body languages and certain comments made about certain types of people, as a child, you you internalize all of that, you, you absorb all of that, and then you create these beliefs. So, it's not necessarily an explicit process, but there are certain things that will increase the likelihood of children developing low self-esteem, like children who suffer abuse or neglect or who children who are bullied or, you know, perhaps children who don't live up to the expectations of the parents or or maybe children who are in a family who faces prejudice or adversity for for being different we we then um you know we can take on those those beliefs but also as an adult you know you you can absolutely develop those those beliefs as an adult and if you suffer stress trauma bullying in the workplace if you're in an abusive relationship you can develop low self-esteem as an adult as well yeah, that makes sense. And CBT is very effective for um, low self-esteem, isn't it? Can you tell us a bit about how CBT works with improving self-esteem? Yeah, absolutely. So with CBT and, and with any therapy, I guess it's it's all tailored to the person that you're working with. So it's all individualized. But with CBT particularly, there are processes that you sort of work within and that sort of just help to guide you through I guess so the we always start with an assessment um first of all so a a thorough assessment to establish exactly what's at the root cause of of what's causing you to feel the way that you're feeling so if the outcome of that assessment is low self-esteem then we'll begin working on that process if it's something different then there's another process that you'd you'd work on but for low self-esteem, the, the first thing that we do once we know what we're working with is to establish what's going on for that particular person. So what is it that that client is experiencing? And the way that we do that is we talk about times where they have recently recognized that their inner critic has been sort of talking loudly or, you know, they felt particularly anxious, they've really lacked confidence and we'll map that out and we'll we'll work through that together we'll look at what the thoughts that they were having their the emotions they were experiencing the the physical sensations that they felt and the behavior and and really kind of get familiar and then that acts really as your roadmap in in self esteem so from there once we've got a good understanding of of what's going on what are those patterns in your thoughts what are those common behaviors then we can look at them in, in a little bit more detail. So for somebody with low self-esteem, your thought processes, we, we'd refer to them as anxious predictions in, in CBT. And what happens is you, you look ahead in certain situations and you make predictions about what you think is going to happen. So for example, if it was a social event, if you're somebody with low self-esteem, you may be thinking, well, if I open my mouth to speak people are going to laugh at me or they'll think I sound stupid or they won't want to, you know they won't like me 
So we make these anxious predictions about what we think is going to happen. And off the back of that, we create these safety behaviours. And these behaviours are sort of a bid to protect ourselves in situations where we feel that we might be vulnerable. So in that social situation where we think, oh, well, if we start talking, people are going to think this about us or that about us. A safety behaviour might be, well, I just won't go. Or if I go, I'll I'll withdraw, I'll sit right at the back and I won't engage in conversation or I'll ask people lots of questions so that the focus is off me. But unfortunately, what happens is that keeps this cycle going because it doesn't allow for the opportunity for you to disprove any of those anxious predictions because this cycle is just kind of constantly going. And then the next time it happens, your brain goes, oh, I know what to do. I just sit at the back and I ask lots of questions and maintained and stuck in that situation that makes a lot of sense so the solution you put in place sometimes becomes part of the problem yes absolutely we think that we're doing it to protect ourselves and we think that we're doing it for the right reasons but actually it's not allowing us to try things in a different way and to see that actually if we were just to have a conversation with that person did that worst thing actually happen that prediction that we had Yeah. And I know that sometimes just doing like what you said, the assessment and helping people see the patterns they are in, that's enough in itself for some people. Because when we raise awareness of what's going on and how our thoughts impact how we feel and what we do, then we can start changing it kind of quite automatically. But if somebody was kind of wanting a bit more in-depth help and the next kind of stages, are there specific techniques and strategies that you use as a therapist? Yeah, so we, we'd use cognitive techniques, so techniques to link your thoughts, and we'd use behavioural techniques as well when working with low self-esteem. So the, the cognitive work, the work around your thoughts is exactly as you said, it's, it's building that sense of awareness. And once you've got that awareness of what your thought processes are, it becomes easier then to be able to take a step back and to to actually look at those with non-biased glasses on, if you like, and and to see how accurate those those beliefs are and how accurate those thoughts are. And the behavioural side of things is really effective because, in essence, that is you testing whether or not these predictions that you're making are accurate, and that that's really scary for for people who've got low self-esteem and and you really need that strong relationship with your therapist to be able to do that because clients do get to the point where they suggest doing this so they feel comfortable enough where they are in the process to actually suggest doing this themselves so it's not something that we would spring upon somebody in session two or three for example but you then have the opportunity to go right this is what I'm thinking is going to happen in this situation. How could I do it differently? How could I drop my safety behaviours and go about this situation differently and just see what happens? And that's where we see that shift in in behaviours as well. And then I guess once you start to see the the progress, then it can it just has a momentum of its own. The common obstacles or roadblocks that you find people get stuck on when they start doing this work. Yeah, so I think it's the start of the process can be incredibly emotive. As you said there, Sarah, just showing people what's going on for them. That can be, and and actually 
getting to that point where you say, possibly for the first time for a lot of people, you say those beliefs out loud. So you say, I don't think I'm good enough, or I think I'm a failure, or I think I'm ugly, or I think I'm unlovable. I mean, that, you know, is a really difficult thing for some people may have never said those things out loud before. When they say it out loud, I don't know if you get this, people go, God, as I say this out loud, I can't believe I think this about myself, I say this to myself. And that in itself helps and change it. Because we just, we say this stuff inside our head, but some of the, it's a different level, isn't it, saying out loud? Absolutely. The, you know, you wouldn't dream, would you, of saying this stuff to a friend or a family member, but we are sort of just we're so used to saying this to ourselves, like you said, that narrative that just runs constantly for some people, it just becomes part of our day to day. But the impact that it has telling yourself day in, day out that you're not good enough, you're worthless. It's huge. Yeah, it's really tragic to think about how probably low self-esteem impacts people and the world. Because imagine if everybody thought they were good enough and okay and were achieving and or just doing and enjoying life in the way they wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not kind of churning out narcissists here in this process. It's not that we're saying, right, you know, come and do CBT and overcome low self-esteem and you're going to think you're the best person in the world. It's not that, is it? The healthy self-esteem is, as you say, getting to that point where you are fundamentally accepting of your flaws. You know what your strengths are and you're accepting of your flaws and it's that notion that, you know, I'm okay as me. But that's really hard and I think that's probably another another obstacle for people. I was going to say that, yeah. Do people worry about, God, if I, I don't want to actually do this work because I might be full of myself and quite narcissistic? Absolutely. So I think through conversations that we have in therapy, we're able to discuss that and that puts people's mind at rest. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I discuss with people sometimes is that when we're distressed, often that's through anxiety or whatever struggle we have, we're quite internally focused. We're thinking about me a lot. How am I coming across? What can I do to make the situation better? But when we're quite calm and we're operating at our best and we don't have the struggle and we don't have the anxiety, then you can actually focus on other people around you. You're not internally focused, you're focused on others. So it's actually, you know, quite a shift, isn't it? In in where we put our attention when we're not struggling. If somebody is listening and not everybody is right for therapy, you know, it's it's quite a nerve wracking thing to do, isn't it? Because you are talking about your your inner vulnerabilities and, and struggles, and I know lots of people listening to this are either therapists or or people maybe considering therapy. But if you're like thinking, I'm not sure if it's right, are there five practical things people could do to kind of start their work on their self-esteem? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing that I would recommend is to just look out for those negative thoughts. So just keep just keep an eye out for them. You don't have to note every single one every single time it happens but even if you could just buy yourself a notebook or use the notes section in your phone and just keep a note of a couple of thoughts a day maybe or even a couple of thoughts a week if that's if that's more doable for you and just see see what's going on see what that narrative is in your mind what is it that you're saying to yourself and then if you can just gently just start to question how accurate that is you know 
Is that a thought based on any evidence? Have we got evidence to support those thoughts there? Or is it just a thought? And we have, I don't know, I think it's 75,000 thoughts a day or something, isn't it? So, you know, is it just another one of those? Or is this a thought, a belief that's, that's um, you know, supported by evidence? And, and that would be sort of a good kind of starting point. And then thinking about this sense of failure and a lot of my clients will very, very quickly, you know, if there are any mistakes or anything that they do wrong, very, very quickly turn in on themselves and see themselves as a, as a failure. I'm worthless. I'm not good enough. But actually, if we can just see failures in a slightly different way and just see if we can get a little bit of perspective on them and and see them as an opportunity for growth and learning just by adjusting our approach to how we see things that can be really helpful because we can't know everything right now we're not all where we want to be right now and actually so much growth and success can come from making mistakes and learning from those things so I guess that would be my second tip the third one which is something that people might feel uncomfortable with. I'm sure you will feel uncomfortable with, but it's stepping outside of your comfort zone. And I don't mean stepping too far outside of your comfort zone so that you're in panic zone, that state of panic. You know, you you wouldn't sort of want to, if you're struggling with low self-esteem, you wouldn't want to push yourself too far straight away. You can, but that might be very hard. So What I would suggest is trying, if you can, to regularly push yourself outside of your comfort zone, but just just a little bit at a time, just kind of, you know, a a gentle but firm push to do something that you might actually have shied away from in the past can really, really build your confidence in the way that you see yourself. And in the same way there, thinking about goal setting and that sense of achievement, and for a lot of people who have low self-esteem, you can fall into patterns of thinking, well, I'm not good enough. I don't achieve anything. I'm worthless. I'm I'm useless. Actually setting yourself small but achievable goals throughout the week or, or across the month and working towards those goals will give you that real sort of sense of accomplishment. So that's another one that you can have a go at. And then finally, Thinking about your good qualities and thinking about those things that your strengths and your successes, which can be really hard for for people initially. And don't worry if that's something that's hard for you. But actually, it might be useful to get somebody else on board to support you with that, somebody who you trust, somebody that you're close to, and see if you can come up with a list of, of strengths and qualities of yours. And then once you've got that list, Throughout the day, then, as you go through your day to day at work or at home, just check in with that list and and just refer back to it. And are there times throughout the day where you've displayed one of those qualities or one of those strengths? And and then make a note of it. Just changes that shift away from you know all that sort of negativity in the way that you see yourself to actually just tipping that balance a little bit back to where it where we want it to be and focusing on a bit more of those strengths that's fantastic so we have a ne- an automatic negative cognitive bias don't we so we're really good at looking at what's wrong what we do wrong because that's been good for our survival so these things they sound like small things but I I know from my clinical practice as I'm sure you do it is the small things isn't it I like that everything you said there is really achievable like you can start that today how effective do you find CBT is in your practice 
Yeah, very effective. So there's a there's an incredible evidence base for the effectiveness of CBT CBT across the board in all areas of psychological challenges, problems. And and that I certainly see that when working with clients, you you know, you really can see the difference in people when they first come in there their whole life is is really affected by their low self-esteem. And over the course of, it varies depending on the person, but say roughly between sort of 12 to 18 sessions, there or thereabouts, you get to the end of the process and, and somebody is just really living quite a different life in the sense that they feel much freer to be able to do those things that they were always wanted to do and always knew they could do but their beliefs about themselves were always stopping them. How do you find people feel at the end of sessions when you've done this work with them? I think generally they describe feeling much calmer, much more confident and much more accepting of themselves and who they are and as we've said you know that doesn't mean that you think that you're better than everybody else far from it we're going for that balanced view and that perspective so it's it's transformational I think it's it's that's why I really enjoy doing it it's a a totally transformational process for people and what role do you think self-compassion has in in CBT and the treatment of low self-esteem Yeah, I think it's huge. And you'll know lots about this with your training in compassion focused therapy. But my understanding of of compassion is, is speaking kindly to yourself and treating yourself with kindness. And actually, for people with low self esteem, that's an alien concept. That's not something that they've ever, ever done before. Working through this process really incorporates that sense of compassion. You know, how are we speaking to ourselves? How are we treating ourselves? So I think that's it absolutely crucial it's right at the heart of it yeah and are there any books or resources that you recommend to your clients that might be useful to share yeah so there's there's a a lady who really has sort of led the way in terms of this cognitive behavioral therapy for low self-esteem and that's a lady called Melanie Fennell and she's written lots of books on on self-esteem. There's one particular good one, which is the Overcoming Low Self-Esteem Handbook. And I'll often recommend that clients read through that, or sometimes we might work through bits of that together. But there's also a book that, that you recommended to me, Sarah, which has been brilliant, and that's Building Your Self-Confidence Using Compassion-Focused Therapy. And that's a book by Mary Welford, which been really interesting and, and just really incorporates that that sense of, of compassion you know that is a book that everybody should read I think it's a text that should be given out at school shouldn't it about how we treat ourselves how we talk to ourselves it's it really kind of changed a lot of things for me absolutely there's a book for younger children which is called you're a star it's lovely it's one that I use when I do a lot of work with young people as well so that's called you're a star and it's by Poppy O'Neill and that's to, to self-esteem and it's just got lots of lovely activities parents can can use that with with their children it's really good it breaks it all down nicely um, and it's sort of very clearly but also just having a look on the mind website as well there's there's some videos on there of people talking about their experience of low self-esteem and and the impact that that has on on their life and and some um, tips and some strategies and, and different things that you can, if you are somebody who's either interested in lo- learning more about low self-esteem or has 
low self-esteem, that's a really good place to go and, and to have a look for some more information. I will put all the links in the show notes. So the question that I ask all my guests is, if you could go back to your 15-year-old self, what would you want to say to her? And so often these are actually about confidence and self-belief. So I think I would tell my 15-year-old self to learn as much as you can about yourself. I think there's such a power in having a deep understanding of who you are as a person. So I would say, learn as much as you can. I'd also say, don't be afraid to be yourself. And if people don't accept you and they don't like you, that is a reflection on them, not you. So I'd say, keep just being you and remember that anything is possible. Just follow what you're passionate about and work hard and remember that anything is possible. Oh, that's lovely. Lovely note to end on. Thank you so much for today. I found it so useful. And I love the way you give such practical strategies. And you're so passionate and compassionate about what you do, you know. So it's been absolutely lovely to have you on. I will put all the links that you've mentioned today and everybody go and have a look at your Instagram page and your lovely new website. Where are you most active on social media at the moment? I'm most active on Instagram. So on Instagram, I'm the self-esteem therapist. And then my website, if you want to have a look at my website, which is all geared up to to focus on self-esteem, is now um, www.amyrosetherapy.co.uk. So that's my new website. Fantastic. Thank you so much for today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Ask the Therapist. I'll be discussing all you've heard in this episode and more over in the Therapist Corner community on Substack. To join me there, just click on the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care of your mental well-being as you continue on the path to becoming the best version of yourself.